This is Car Expert. I think where the Seltos really does well is in terms of space and practicality. The X-Trail has been not a very interesting car to drive from day one. This time they've really thrown everything at it. It will definitely beat Hyundai this year and it might even beat Mitsubishi. Kia would finish a calendar year in third spot, which would be an absolute record for that company. Hello and welcome to the Car Expert podcast. You might have already noticed I'm not Mandy Turner. Mandy is away sick today. I'm Scott Colley and already this podcast has been chaos. Wait until the end to hear what happens when Mandy's not around. It doesn't really work nearly as well as when she is. I'm joined by James Wong. Hello. <laughs> yes. So... I suppose so people have a bit of context. Uh, Mandy usually sets up our podcast recording. She asks us what we're going to talk about in the intro. She introduces everyone. She throws to us and it's all incredibly well organized. So far, I have thrown to James, who's sitting directly opposite me and his microphone's been turned off. We've then started talking about something and realized we had no planning as to where we were going to go next. Um, It's not going nearly as smoothly as it usually does. Speaking of which, there hasn't been a car expert podcast for the last couple of weeks. James, would you like to tell people why? Yeah, so um, the team's been really busy the last couple of weeks. There's been a lot of media launches, um, and we've also been doing one of our biggest projects ever, um, which is the Dual Cab Ute Mega Test. So a few of our readers and listeners will remember um, earlier this year, we had, I think it was a 10-car medium SUV mega test that was largely based around off-roading, and then we did a supplementary infotainment um, comparison Whereas this one, we have 12 different vehicles and there's quite there's a series of tests that will be um, brought out in, in a series of content um, in the new year. Uh, we'll be doing everything from towing to off-roading, uh, all the stuff that buyers of this segment um, in the in the dual cab 4x4 ute segment really care about. We've got quite a wide range of vehicles in there. I may, I'm not sure how much of it's meant to be a surprise. So I'm going to keep a little bit quiet on that stuff, but it, it was well over a week of um, of testing and, and, and logistics just for the, the actual doing part. And it's something that I and a couple of other people in the team have been working on for a number of months now. So it was really, really great to get uh, some of the team from Brisbane down to help out as well. We had one of our readers come in from Sydney. Shout out to James for being an awesome help and a wonderful um, person to have along with the team for that week. Um, so we're really excited to share that content and everything um, and the results, obviously, because everyone will want to know how everything went. Um, to be honest, I don't know how everything went because I sort of came and went with different things. Um, so we'll, we'll find out more in January. I think that the plan is to send the first piece of content live, which will be uh, one of the videos and um, some written stuff uh, in the new year. So super excited for that. Definitely one to keep an eye out for. Uh, I know you're taking a sip of your coffee, but of all of the cars we did have there, I know it's a Ute Mega Test. We're not giving much away by by revealing at least one car. What surprised you the most? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not really a Ute person, so I guess it would, I always get surprised when I don't mind driving one. I <laughs> obviously the new Ranger is just excellent, and so I really enjoyed driving the new Ranger between um, between venues, <laughs> testing venues, things like that. Um, and, you know, I, I spent a little bit of time in the, the Great Wall Motors or the GWM Ute. Um, and, you know, I think the, the Chinese brands in the past, um, including Great Wall, have sort of been 
um, copying crap from everybody for, you know, being cheap and nasty or whatever. But I was actually pleasantly surprised with how well that car performed as like a, just a daily driver. So um, I know that there were some surprises in some of the tests that we're really keen to share, but I, again, I won't give too much away. This is um, one of – this is the production team's video baby, so I don't want to be giving out any spoilers. But, um, yeah, you, I think there'll be some surprises across the board, not just, you know, between you and I and whoever else like may have driven something that they didn't um, they, they didn't mind while we were down there. Now it's time for car news and James, we've talked a lot about how messed up car supply is at the moment, but there is some good news from Mazda. Yeah, so um, I spoke with a Mazda representative recently and um, they they just sort of informed about the updated supply situation to the point where um, most of their model lines, you can actually walk in and, and put an order down on a car and get it by Christmas, which in 2022 is basically unheard of. Um, so Mazda 2, Mazda 6, CX-3, CX-5, CX-8, CX-9 and BT-50 um, have opened up in, in terms of supply in the last quarter of the year. Um, I'll quote directly um, from the Mazda spokesperson. As anticipated, stock levels for the vast majority of the Mazda range have steadily improved since quarter three of this year with a number of available cars across the dealer network right now. In Coming arrivals across our most popular model lines, including Mazda 2, Mazda 6, CX-3, CX-8, CX-9, BT-50 and CX-5 in the month of December mean that customers who place an order now could also receive their vehicle by Christmas, which is really great. And I think that will be reflected in um, Mazda's sales numbers uh, in December. And it was also it also seemed to be reflected in their November results. There was a, a much stronger showing from um, most of these model lines uh, in, in November. But for car like Mazda 3 and the CX-30, which are typically their um, two top sellers behind the CX-5. Um, demand is strong, but they can't really say um, exactly when a, a new order will be um, supplied with a with a vehicle, um, and also if you want an MX an MX thirty, if you want a little bit something a little bit left of field, um, they have good supply and stock available on that car as well. So, as Scott mentioned before, uh, we, we've noticed that supply and and all that kind of thing uh, across most brands this year has been a very touchy subject. Um, it doesn't matter where the brand's from unless perhaps they're from China where there seems to be pretty steady um, production pumping out at any given point. But, you know, we've seen with the Korean brands, they've really struggled, um, the European brands as well, especially if you want something electrified. Um, it's just been a, it's just been mayhem. And so it's, it's either meant that cars are released with no stock or um, cars are new release are delayed so it's really good to see that Mazda's in a, in a better position I'm sure the internally they'll be really happy they'll finish a very strong number two in the manufacturers rankings at the end of this year and then obviously they're, they're building up to um, launching updated CX-5 and CX-8 in the new year as well as um, CX-60 which if given the pre-orders have only just opened and they're not arriving till June I'm assuming they're waiting until there's a decent amount of supply as well. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the CX-60. Um, already, I think it looks fantastic, but it is a very different car for Mazda. So I'm curious to know how the market will respond and maybe even if it'll eat away a little bit at the top end of the CX-5, it's going to be fascinating to find out. Heading over to Germany now, and Mercedes, Benz and Bosch have just had an autonomous parking system approved. Um, have you ever used the, the hands-free parking that comes standard in some cars? Well, I actually have it in my Golf, and I think I've used it once, and I've 
also used it in a in a polo that I had um, in a previous job, and um, it was a bit freaky, like watching the steering wheel like twirl around and everything. But yeah, I haven't. It's not something I use typically very often. <laughs> So this goes about 10 steps further. It's been in trial for a little while, but it's a level four autonomous system where if you've got a new S-Class or EQS, you're able to park your car at a certain car park at Stuttgart Airport, press a button on the Mercedes Me app, and then just walk away. And the car will communicate with the parking garage to make sure the coast is clear, and then drive itself to an empty spot, park itself, lock itself, and just kind of sit there while you're away. And when you return to the car park, press a button on the app and the car will come and collect you from that same spot. Systems like this have been in use for a little while in a trial form, but it's the first time this system has been approved for commercial use. So you don't need a lab coat or a high-vis vest and you don't need any special clearance to do this. If you do have an S-Class or an EQS with the right package, uh, you can just rock up and start essentially handing over to the computers. Um, This is quite a big step and it's one of the big promises that autonomy has been making for a little while. We've been hearing from car brands saying that vehicles driving themselves will make our life easier. Um, We've also seen though that Tesla's promises of your car being able to make money for you while you're sitting at the office haven't manifested and even Mercedes and Audi's previous talk about fully autonomous cars hasn't really played out on the timeline they promised. This is definitely a step towards a world where even though you're still going to need to be in control and need to own your car, you can let it take care of some of the more mundane stuff that really is boring. And given the pace at which Mercedes and German companies like to develop this tech, it wouldn't be surprising to see it roll out further around Stuttgart. Jaywo, would you be comfortable letting your car drive itself to a parking spot? Um, I think that's something that I could potentially... (laughs) <laughs> let go of a little bit if it's because it's such a specific and small thing that it's doing. Um, I'm one of the one, not sure if I'll say if I'm one of the few, but I'm, I'm one of the in the camp that is a little bit wary of full autonomy. And I've sort of voiced that for a really long time, especially when you've got people like Elon Musk that basically says that your car will turn into a submarine and, you know, drive across the Pacific tomorrow. I think we just have to be very careful because, you know, cars are not only a mode of transportation, but they're a way of keeping you safe (laughs) in in a lot of ways. And I I wouldn't want to be walking through P6 at Stuttgart airport and be cleaned up by an EQS that's gone rogue. So, as wild as that scenario sounds, I'm sure that in controlled conditions, I could, you know, it's a fun little party trick. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, autonomy is still one of those things where I'm not a hundred percent behind, but I, I definitely embrace um, ver- variations of semi-autonomy. So I think this is still pretty cool. And finally, before we get Mike Costello in for VFAX, Detamaso is back. The brand is best known, I think, for Elvis shooting one of its cars when it wouldn't start again. Um, but there's a new car called the P900. It's a V12 with a 12,300 RPM redline. And Joe, it looks awesome. Yeah, it kind of looks like a Hot Wheels car. I think I've, <laughs> I've grown up with a few of these running down like loop-de-loop tracks. Um, but yeah, it looks really cool. The The press images show um, the vehicle in purple um, exposed carbon fiber with like bronze wheels and a matching bronze stripe and it looks insane. And um, obviously, the, we've seen a couple of these like hypercar concepts of late and, you know, the numbers are insane. So this naturally aspirated 6.2 liter V12 um, can run not only um, do a 12,000 RPM redline, but also 
also can run on synthetic fuels. Um, and DiSomaso is actually saying that it will be the world's first carbon neutral um, V12 using the right type of fuel, which is, again, a, a big deal. Um, in terms of power, it's um, going to be putting out 900 horsepower or 662 kilowatts in our money. Um, and it's apparently only 900 kilograms dry, which is not a lot of weight for all that power. I think the, the craziest thing about this isn't the way that it looks or the power of the engine that they're promising. It's the fact that if you buy one, it's going to launch next year in the second quarter of a whole lot of motor shows, but they're not expecting the V12 we're talking about to be done until late 2024. So if you want to buy one and take it home straight away and if I was spending crazy, crazy money, about $4.5 million on a car, I'd probably want to drive it pretty soon. Um, if you want to take it home straight away, you're not going to get that engine. You're going to get a Formula One derived, this is a quote, V10 engine supplied by Judd Power with bespoke components instilled by Capricorn. Um, essentially, you're buying a, a V12 car, but it's not going to become a V12 until 2024. Up until then, it's going to be a V10. I'm not quite sure how that works. I'm not quite sure if I had paid $4.5 million, I'd be willing to just trust that eventually the other engine would be ready. But it does feel kind of in keeping with the history of De Tomaso, which, yeah, as we've said, is known for making beautiful, interesting, but unreliable and, uh, and hard to understand cars like the Pantera. And before we wrap up car news, we welcome Mike Costello to talk about the latest new car sales from VFAX. Moco, it looked like a better month for the industry. That indeed it did, Scott. Hi, guys. Hi, Wongi. Good to see you. Um, yes, yeah, so the sales grew 18% or 17.9, but let's just go 18, in November to just over 95,000 vehicles. And that marks the fifth successive month of sales growth, um, which really shows that those supply levels are starting to improve. Um, these days, the industry data, the VFAC sales data, is cross-checked against registration data, so it should be largely reflective of deliveries, not just orders. Um, so it's definitely good news. It also means that at the uh, sales year to date are up 2.3% over last year, just under a million, so we'll comfortably eclipse the million mark once again. Just to contextualise that, at the half-year mark, sales were down 5.2%. So over the second half of the year, things have really, really improved. As always, the top brand was Toyota, more than 20% market share. Uh, the top model was the Hilux, although the Ford Ranger was the victor in the more lucrative 4x4 market, which is the one that we all really focus on. Um, the mid-sized SUVs remained the most popular vehicle type. Um, and the FCAI, the peak body for the car brands, is really keen to point out that while supply is liberating and while there are more vehicles around, there are still plenty of people waiting upwards of a year or more for their cars as well. So we're not quite out of the woods yet. But let's, uh, let's get stuck into some of the details, guys. What would you like to know? First one for me is about one of the brands that we have been following really closely at Car Expert and on the podcast. BYD has finally reported sales. How's it tracking? It has. So there's obviously been some some hiccups with that manufacturer. It had a few weeks there where it didn't uh, wasn't able to deliver its vehicles because of uh, some confusion around the Australian design rules, specifically ADR 34 that has some rules around seatbelt anchor points. I won't bore you with the details, but suffice to say that BYD through its local importer kind of stuffed up somewhere along the way and wasn't able to sell its cars for a few weeks, but it's been delivering cars again for a couple of weeks now and claimed 845 Atto 3 EVs for the month, which would make it the second top-selling EV after only the Tesla Model Y. 
um, which is a really impressive result for a brand that very few people know much about. It is a massive company globally, but in Australia, doesn't have a huge following yet, although based on some of the forums that I read, it's definitely gaining a forum relatively quickly. So very strong month for that company. Overall, EVs did quite well. So just under 5% market share for full electric cars for the month. Um, we were talking about 1% to 2% last year. So the, the real growth of Tesla and the introduction of some of these new manufacturers like Polestar, Cooper with the Born, BYD, and more next year is really helping push the EV sales along nicely. Another one of the races we've been keeping a close eye on is Hyundai versus Kia. Um, another good month for Kia. Is it possible that at the end of December it will have beaten its bigger brother? Yeah, it seems pretty likely at this point. So, yeah, so for the month, I'll just run you through the brand. So Toyota first up 32%, Mazda second um, up 43%, so good growth there. Ford grabbed third almost entirely because of Ranger. It doesn't really know how to sell anything else, or Everest, I should say, Ranger and Everest. Um, and then fourth was Kia, up 24.5% ahead of Mitsubishi and Hyundai. Um, and that is not an aberration by any means this year. So Kia, and I'm actually grabbing the full year-to-date figures as we speak, Kia this year has sold 72,700 cars, uh, which makes it number three overall. It's about 630 cars ahead of Mitsubishi and it's miles ahead of Hyundai. So it will definitely beat Hyundai this year and it might even beat Mitsubishi unless Mitsubishi has a huge December, in which case Kia would finish a calendar year in third spot, which would be an absolute record for that company. Uh, Mocha, I noticed that um, the... MG had a really great month with um, ZS breaking well into, I think, even the top five. Um, and MG3 had a really great month in the light segment. We touched on BYD already, but um, how did the other Chinese brands go? Yeah, so MG, uh, we're kind of used to seeing that in the top 10 now. Uh, and MG finished one, two, three, four, five, seventh position, just under 5,500 sales, up 47%. So I was just behind Hyundai, but only by 30 odd units. And it beat Subaru, Volkswagen, Isuzu and some other familiar players. As you said, the MG was the superstar. In fact, the MG ZS was the number four vehicle overall and the most popular SUV of any type for all of November, uh, more than 3,000 sales. Uh, that put it ahead of the RAV4 and the CX-5 and the Outlander and vehicles that normally top that segment, or the segment above, I should say. Um, but the ZS had a huge month for rentals. So that company has made a really strong pitch to rental companies because it puts bums on seats, it builds awareness. And leading into the Christmas period, there's obviously a lot of rental companies very keen to start buying up vehicles again. So that drove it. The MG3, as you said, far and away the most popular light car in the country has been for quite some time now. The other major Chinese brand is GWM, uh, which also includes Haval, same company, um, made the top 10 for the second successive month. Uh, so last month was the first time ever in the top 10, made the top 10 again this month. Huge product rollout plans with hybrids and plug-in hybrids and EVs next year for that company. So expect it to be even higher then. Moko, what about some of the smaller brands that are just finding their feet in Australia? Um, curious about Cupra and Genesis in particular, both of which seem to be moving at decent pace. 
So Cooper recorded 302 sales for the month and has sold 900 this year, which is very good going. And if we look at Polestar, 240 sales for the month, 1,265. So they're two companies that are already making an impact on the market. And you have to think that moving into next year, that impact will only grow. So Australians are starting to show now that brand is not necessarily the most important thing. If you bring an exciting product to the market, you don't have a huge amount of brand legacy or equity there. People are willing to take a punt. Another few brands that I really want to point out that are doing really well are Ram. So Ram Trucks um, has just broken its all-time production record, making more than 900 remanufactured right-hand drive pickup trucks in Melbourne, sold about 700. And um, the company's global boss this week came out and said that they reckon they can triple sales to around 20,000. So, you know, Aussie's love for big V8 heavy haulers uh, is just unabated. Um, we also saw really strong growth from Isuzu Ute up 31%, Suzuki, Audi, Volvo, and little old Sanyong, which uh, with some cash now and a new investor and owner globally has finally steadied itself and is now posting uh, record sales for that tier three Korean company. So good news there as well. For the full VFAX wrap, make sure you head to carexpert.com.au and make sure you ask any questions in the comments. Mike and James in particular are very good at getting back quickly. Mike Costello, thanks very much. Thanks, boys. Anthony Crawford joins us to talk today about the Nissan X-Trail. But before we get into that, Crawford, what on earth are you holding in your hands? I have got, Mr. Scott, a, an N, an N, Hyundai N fan, and it has a three-speed uh, control. So I'm in Sport Plus at the moment because it is quite hot in this sweat box that I'm in. <laughs> Croft, I've heard a rumour that um, the handling on that fan was designed by the person who used to do fans for BMW. Ah, oh, yes, Albert Bim. And rechargeable, of course. Um, of course, the first electric N product. Yeah, um, Croft, you've been driving the new Nissan X-Trail. It's a bit of a change of pace for you, but what did you think of it? Well... I tell you what, um, I was absolutely not a fan of the previous X-Trail um, because of its frumpy behind, its sagging butt. Um, I really detested that look. And, you know, they did the same thing with Pathfinder. It was just, just a bigger, uglier version of um, what they, you know, somehow got through the design, you know, tick, if you like. And now they've come back with a fantastic squared-off, uh, very US uh, sort of looking vehicle with those squared off edges at, and the behind and a sort of a uh, cliff face grill, which always looks good. Seems to be the go at the moment with utes as well. So SUVs are now doing it as well. And this is really good, really, really good. And uh, probably the most, apart from the exterior design, the interior is absolutely lush. Um, I mean, we call these things semi-premium, but really they're premium. Um, when you hop in this, you know, leather accented uh, with three screens, a huge screens, two 12.3-inch screens, and a massive 10.8-inch um, head-up display. Uh, and they've done the same thing with Pathfinder as well, kind of mirrors Pathfinder, although for some strange reason in Pathfinder, um, you get a smaller um, infotainment screen than you do in the in the X-Trail, which is a great thing for X-Trail buyers it's more expensive. Um, uh, we all know in this industry that it's based on the same um, Mitsubishi platform and the Mitsubishi uh, version of this um, uh, medium SUV is, is, of course, cheaper and cheaper to service. 
Um, so with all the kit, and the kit is extremely extensive, especially when you get up to the STI, sorry, the TI and the TIL, you really do get some extensive kit. If you don't want to be disappointed, don't read the, don't read through the, or don't walk yourself through the uh, trim grades because you just keep wanting more when you look at those grades. Unfortunately, when you're buying a new car, and uh, but you know, just as a base model ST, you get a lot of kit. Um, yeah, more expensive and, to service too, by the way. And Croft, you you mentioned the top spec is really luxurious. Did you get to drive the base model, and, and what does that feel like behind no. the wheel? No, unfortunately, we didn't. It was a fairly, um, I guess it was an abbreviated launch program in terms of the driving time behind the wheel. Uh, So I got to drive the TI, which I I would say, if you can stretch the budget, that's the sweet spot. I don't think you need the TIL, um, but certainly the TI gives you almost everything. Um, In fact, if you didn't look at the the extra equipment that TIL gets, you wouldn't miss it. Uh, bar maybe the Bose thirteen speaker stereo system, um, but that's about it. The rest of it is uh, is TI land. But let's get into the drivability because I thought the previous car didn't drive well at all. Um, dynamically, it was very very poor. Uh, in fact, the X Trail has been not a very interesting car to drive from day one. To be honest, this time they've really thrown everything at it. And it's got sharper steer. Everywhere you look, they've tightened everything up. So it's sharper steering, much better roll control. Uh, so it's a stiffer chassis. Um, and you really feel that from the moment you sit in this car. It actually felt like getting into a Ranger. I know this sounds bizarre, but when I sat in, you're really sort of sitting right deep into the car uh, in these beautiful luxury leather seats in the TI. And um, it felt fantastic. The the vision, the forward vision, side vision, rear vision as well, which was kind of interesting because it's actually a smallish window um, if you look at it from the outside. So it looks like it's got a really high belt line on the rear. But the vision from within the car is completely um, unencumbered. And so I was really surprised at that. So, yeah, driving into corners, you really want to have a bit of a punt at this thing. It's really quite fun to drive because of that sharpness. And we all, you know, as in this industry and and what we do, we always look for sort of a bit of a good feeling when you turn the wheel and do you have response rates and is it sharp and can you position the car well in a corner? You don't have to be going at breakneck speed to enjoy that type of thing, even in an SUV. You'd rather not be rolling around and tipping sideways when you go into a corner. Well, this car does none of that. It's really quite well dynamically enhanced, if you like, and I think that's what people are going to really notice about this car, apart from the kit and the, the great driving position that you get in and all that. So, And some clever features as well. It's got quite a lot of space in this vehicle, um, particularly in the boot area. I, I don't think it's the class leader, but uh, certainly you won't be wanting for any space. Yes, Mr. Jimmy. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned you mentioned smart features and things like that. And one of the biggest um, changes that have come with this new generation of X-Trail is the amount of tech that's now on offer. The old one was um, criticized far and wide for having very dated infotainment, you know, limited um, driver assistance systems across the range. Now we've got, you know, pro pilot, semi-autonomy and big screens. Can you talk a little bit about how the techs come forward with this new gen? Yeah, tech, um, I, I really noticed... Um, uh, CarPlay and the response rates of that infotainment screen—it's really, really good, guys. Like it's, 
It's I, I, actually one of the best I've been in. I've actually been driving a Toyota, believe it, this week, and um, it's wired CarPlay, and it keeps dropping out. Like it, I'm, I'm talking about incessantly dropping out, um, and I'm so annoyed. I, I virtually can't use it because it just drops out um, completely uh, for no reason at all. I don't understand it. Not so with Nissan. It's just a really robust system they've got. Uh, in their infotainment, the screen is really good. Uh, it's it's so super clear. The clarity, the color production, uh, is excellent. Um, I, I actually gave it really high marks for interior um, and the technology and the head-up display. Um, when you've got it, when you're using the the in-car sat nav, uh, brings up these fantastic blue road lines that show you exactly where to turn and all that. Uh, really, really quite good. Something you would expect to get on, you know, a, a high-end European car rather than a rather than a fairly affordable Japanese SUV. So I was pleasantly surprised by that, and I think people will 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 love this and love the amount of tech in this vehicle. And certainly, it's one of the strong reasons to buy it. Is there a negative in this vehicle? Um, yes, um, I'd say the powertrain. Um, is a bit of a negative, or at least let me preface that by saying there is an e-powertrain coming, uh, which I'm expecting to be a lot better and a lot uh, perkier than this vehicle. Don't get me wrong, it gets off the line quite quickly, but we've got a CVT transmission. Um, I've never been a fan of CVT transmissions, even the ones that step the gears and uh, mimic uh, gear shifts and gear changes. Uh, this does that um, fairly well. But, you know, when you start, they, they become quite noisy under load. They're fine when you get up to speed and, you know, to use a boating term, plane on the freeway, um, you know, at 80 or 90 Ks, they can be quite quiet inside. But once you're under load up a hill or even accelerating from the lights under a constant acceleration, they're quite buzzy. Uh, and a little bit annoying. Um, I would say this is one of the better versions of a CVT transmission, but still I would rather have an auto, frankly. And Croft, given there aren't all that many SUVs in that sort of space with seven seats, did you get to have a poke around the third row in a seven-seat X-Trail and see what they're like? Yeah, it's a good question, um, Scott. It's it's uh, actually quite reasonable room back there. Um, there's a proper there's a proper uh, foot area, sort of a, a a step down, so you can put your feet down. So it's not like you could actually fit adults back in there. I, I really believe that. Um, not that you would, right? Unless you were taking, you know, your grandparents and your mother and father and all that. But um, yeah, really, really good and good accessibility. Not quite as good as Pathfinder because Pathfinder have this single button thing. We'll talk about that at another stage. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty damn good as far as seven seaters go. As we all know, they can be trying to get into and difficult and uh, even worse to get out of. But this one, not so. Well, Croft, um, you, you, I know that in your review, you spent most of your time in the TI, and mm. I imagine there were a couple of different variants on the launch. Given you've sort of touched on the range walk and the different features that you get, which variant in the new X-Trail range do you think best balances that value for money perspective? Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, part of me wants to say that the TI that I drove um, because you do get, you know, caught up in the luxury kit and you, you do want it. Um, 
but I, I probably wouldn't go for a two-wheel drive. I'm not big into two-wheel drive SUVs. I kind of feel that having all-wheel drive is, is also another big safety feature for me, particularly if you're going doing longer drives and you go away for weekends. I, I, I really believe that all-wheel drive in the rain particularly, we, in such inclement weather these days, that um, it's a big thing. So, yeah, I suppose... I don't know. The, the the kit levels in the ST is pretty good. So if you went the ST all-wheel drive for 39790 plus on roads, pretty good buying. Um, but uh, if he can stretch up, I know it's a big stretch to 49990 uh, for the cheapest TI. Uh, that's probably a lot more than, you know, the 39790. But you know, given that it's a family vehicle and probably potentially one of the only vehicles in the household that, you know, I, I would uh, I would do, if, especially if you're leasing, I would definitely stretch it to the TI, um, whether you want the five-seat. Uh, well, you only get – that's the interesting thing with this vehicle. And the odd thing, I should say, you only get – if you go for the luxury versions, the TI and the TIL, you only get five seats, which I can't quite understand that. And I, I don't think I got a – a, a proper explanation for that, to be honest. Yeah, that, that was going to be my follow-up question, Crawl, because given um, Nissan Australia has gone a bit interesting with the how they spec the the seat layouts according to trim grade, yeah. were there any questions asked of them as to why there's no um, seven-seater versions in the high grades? And same thing for the upcoming ePower. They're only offering the ePower hybrid as a TI and TAL, and despite it being available with seven seats in other markets, they've decided to go five seats here. It, it, would Nissan Australia give any comments as mm. to why they came to that decision? No, it was certainly asked by several people uh, in the uh, presentation, but I, I don't think we got a, uh, I won't say legitimate explanation, but they, they, I don't know why, but they didn't certainly give that to me. Um, I do think it's a bit odd. Um, so in that respect, you would have to go for the STL if you wanted, you know, reasonable luxury and you know, the opportunity to cart an extra two kids around. Um, and back on that power thing, if we can just switch back to the power, that fact that this engine under load isn't, it's peppy off the mark, but uh, I thought mid-range was fairly ordinary. But um, if you can wait around till early, uh, I'm told early 23, uh, they'll launch the uh, X-Trail TIE power with E-Force, so 54.190 plus on road, and that's going to have more power more efficiency as well. So it's going to compete with the, um, you know, other hybrid uh, vehicles in this class. And um, we none of us have driven that car yet. Uh, I don't know if anyone's driven it overseas from uh, from Car Expert, but... Uh, Paul did drive uh, it in Europe. Yeah. We have a video, we have a video up on, it, on the site. Excellent. Um, I, I'd be really... Uh, that's probably the one I'd go for, to be honest, in, in reflection, because I really want efficiency and I want a bit more power uh, with that vehicle, and that would you know, again, you've got to stretch the budget another five grand on top of the TI. Um, so yeah, look, at, I mean, pricing could be construed as a little a, a little off kilter, if you like. Um, everything's gone up quite a lot um, in this vehicle, like every vehicle. I don't think we can blame Nissan on things like that. Every single manufacturer has uh, has has raised their prices, so. I don't think they can be called out for that. Um, but servicing costs, well, they're way more expensive than the Mitsubishi equivalent. Um, significantly, some of the services are up to $633 um, for, the, for the last service, so that's quite pricey. 
prepared to Mitsubishi. Well, for more on that car, head to carexpert.com.au and check out Tony's review. Croft, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, guys. James Wong has been a busy boy in this last couple of weeks. Along with the Ute Megatest, he's been driving Peugeots and Kias and everything in between. But today we want to talk about the Kia Seltos. JWO looks like a pretty significant update to one of Australia's best-selling small SUVs already. Yeah, so um, Kia's done done its usual midlife um, update, which they call PE internally or product enhancements. So, like we've seen with some of their other cars, namely um, Serato, it comes in with you know updated infotainment, tech, and all of that. So, um, for twenty twenty three, the the Seltos remains a four variant lineup. We've seen a couple of new additions in in the sense of like the GT line now comes with the two liter front wheel drive um, drivetrain as a proper core member of the range um, and we're also seeing more safety kit included from the base levels so you get blind spot monitoring a rear cross blind spot assist sorry and rear cross traffic assist as standard across the range but um, that also means now that there's no more safety pack so if you want something like i don't know adaptive cruise control you have to spend all the way up to a sport plus which we sort of question them about and i um i have quite a funny relationship with one of the the kia executives that does product planning so sometimes i just make the joke i'll just be like oh so you're making people spend more now and they're like "Mm, yeah you know a couple of uncomfortable questions asked at the um the press conference but yeah so I, i flew up to sydney to to do this launch we drove um from uh, Marrickville, which is in somewhere in inner Sydney, and drove all the way up to um, the Blue Mountains, which was a, an interesting experience because not only is it very pretty up there, but while we were um, up in this mountain area and having lunch, it was sunny, and then suddenly it turned to snow. So in, in the middle of November of all time. So it was a very interesting event. So what are the, the headline changes to the Celtos beyond just what's changed on the outside? Um, so, you know, obviously there's the new design. So there's new lights, wheels, all that kind of thing. There's a new um, what they call Pluton blue color, which is sort of like this aqua um, color that's available um, on most models. But if you want the um, two-tone roof, you can only get it on the GT line. Um, inside, there's things like rear air vents across the range, which strangely was limited to the GT line previously. Um, it, the Seltos is the latest vehicle in the lineup to get Kia Connect, which is um, Kia's range of uh, internet-based services or telemat- telematic systems, as they'll probably put on their marketing materials. So um, from every, every model fitted with navigation, so sports, sports, Plus and GT line, um, you now get um, a series of services and app-based remote functions. So you get like online navigation with live traffic updates, a, a voice assistant, um, access to the Kia Connect app. So you can you know send addresses to the um, navigation system. You can turn the light, turn the car on and off via your smartphone, that kind of thing. Um, and now it gets the little um, digital cockpit from the uh, Kia Nero, which runs a, a similar chassis and platform underneath. So you get um, dual 10 and a quarter inch screens on sport and up. And then on the base car, you still get an eight inch, um, a smaller eight inch touchscreen with wireless CarPlay and wireless Android Auto. But um, there's a a basic digital instrument cluster that you've probably seen on other Kia and Hyundai models, which has like the the clock radio style LCD rev and taco, no, rev and taco are the same thing, rev counter and speedo um, flanking a um, a 4.2 inch 
inch um, TFT supervision display in between them. So it definitely has sort of brought the the tech game up and 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 it presents a little bit more higher end, particularly in the cabin. Um, uh, but it's still more of the same. So. Actually, the other big change before I throw over to you, Scott, is um, the turbocharged model. So you still can only get the 1.6 liter turbo or will drive um, drivetrain with the Sport Plus and the GT line. But with this uh, facelift, it's now making 146 kilowatts instead of 130. Um, and it's also made the change from dual clutch transmission to automatic. So they've taken the eight-speed auto that's familiar from diesel versions of the Sportage, for example, and they've slotted it under the Seltos. So it's not only got an extra gear, but it's you know meant to improve low-speed drivability and smoothness. And it's also got the new smart stream version of the engine. So it's a little bit more efficient. I was going to ask about the new transmission because previously that 1.6 has always felt a little bit awkward. Has the update made it feel still quick, I suppose, but a little bit more natural to drive in town? Yeah, so something that I definitely have complained about previously, and it's not just limited to the Seltos, it's most Kia and Hyundai models with that seven-speed transmission, is that the dry clutch um, DCT that they have with that 1.6-litre engine just feels a bit elastic and you know slingshotty, particularly when you're launching in first and then also for when it's... Um, shifts up from first to second this new transmission definitely has improved that it's it's still not perfect i guess having being even though it's turbocharged 265 newton meters is not a huge amount of torque so there's still sometimes a little bit of lag down low but it definitely means that it's a lot more smooth and progressive um right across the rev range and you know it's also a better cruiser um i drove down from between the kia and peugeot event so i drove from the blue mountains down to jerangong which is down you know near wollongong which is a three and a half our drive so a lot of um high speed um country roads and 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 highway driving to get there and it was just so much more relaxed um at at a cruise so at you know at 100 110 k's an hour it's still sitting at about the 2000 rev um mark which in the old car with the the shorter gearing and obviously one less cog it was a little bit higher than that um and that also translates to better efficient efficiency so officially it uses a, a couple of tenths of a liter less um but I, w- I would say that in um with extended highway use you'd probably see that's a little bit better um again and they've also made improvements to the nvh through more sound absorbing materials and a a quieter exhaust system so um depending on which variant you get there's a few about 0.8 of a decibel here and there which doesn't sound like much but it definitely did feel quite refined on the freeway which i was very impressed with given how much time i spent behind the wheel um so there's a range of smaller refinements that i think add up to quite a big change and what about the, the rest of the range? There was nothing really wrong with how the Seltos drove. So has Kia made many changes? No, not really. So in terms of the, the local ride and handling tune, they've basically kept it from the old car. All the alloy wheel sizes are the same. So in terms of how it feels to drive and how it handles, it's still, you know, that really nice balance between comfort and engagement. You know, some of the roads out of, um, I think I was in Hampton, which is in the Blue Mountains, and I took I think it was called Abercrombie Road, which is quite a twisty, high-speed section of, of B Road. And, you know, the Seltos was, you know, 
I wouldn't say it was the most engaging thing I've ever driven, but it was, you know, borderline fun and it, it handles with confidence and it feels secure in in a way that some taller, boxier SUVs might not. And, you know, having the, the – I was – I spent most of my time in the turbocharged one with all-wheel drive. So, you know, grip was never really an issue. Um, there was quite a few different weather conditions and road services that we, we went over that were – that demonstrated the capability of the all-wheel drive system. Um, but, you know – if you've driven a Seltos before, it's it's more of the same. You know, it's it's a great daily drivable car. It's comfortable. It's pretty quiet. Um, it's got a nice little bit of um, uh, engagement dialed in, so it's nice and accurate through all the driver controls. It handles with uh, enough competence that you know you can have a little bit of fun it's you know it's, you're not wallowing about and feeling unwell but it's also not completely boring either um so yeah like it, it was it's just sort of one of those cars that it does everything well without necessarily being a standout in, at least in terms of on the road i think where the seltos really um does well is in terms of space and practicality it's just a it's a small car with a big interior you know my parents have a, a couple of generations old sportage which dimensionally is not that different to the current seltos and i would be much more comfortable in the back seat of the seltos than i would in my mum's sportage for example and the boot is obviously very big so if you want you know a big car feel in a smaller compact city friendly package this car does that really really well is it still one of the ones that we'd recommend given prices are up by between two and three thousand dollars across the range I think so, yeah, because you know the, the the entire industry has trended upward in terms of pricing, and and Kia continues to be one of the the few brands that does national drive away pricing um, at launch and then throughout the car's life. So you have really good visibility of how much a vehicle is going to cost. The fact that also that they've got such a wide range of variants as well means that you know you can get an S or a Sport between 32 and 35 grand drive away which you know still you know that sport that sport variant with um the Kia Connect enabled navigation system it's got you know a digital instrument cluster that looks really high end it's the same one that you'll find in the highest grade of Sorento um you know it's it's got most of the driver assistance stuff that you'll need um, and it still looks good if you take away the crappy halogen lights that I still pan them for every time I talk to the Kia guys and girls. Um, but yeah, it's I think especially at the lower end, it makes a lot of sense. I think Sport and GT line are the two grades there that make a lot of sense. The GT line has all the, the cool lights, all the bells and whistles, you know, heated and ventilated seats, that kind of thing and it obviously looks the goods, especially if you get one of the, um, the colors with a, a two-tone roof whereas i think in terms of value that sport gets a lot of what you need um and doesn't miss out on so much stuff that you really want um and yeah i think for for 35 grand drive away it's it's efficient it's it's comfortable it's got all, most of the stuff that you need and um it if, from a value perspective it, it does really well because you, you look at other brands and you you don't get anything really that good until almost 40 grand drive away these days so um there's definitely something that i would be um, recommending to people moving forward for james's full thoughts on the seltos and to see how it stacks up with some of its competitors head to carexpert.com.au that is a wrap on a slightly different uh, car expert podcast mandy we miss you come back please um james you want to talk us through what's coming up in the world of launches over the next couple of weeks 
Sure thing. So I am actually going to be driving the new Civic Hybrid this week, or eHev as they just, they call it. Um, I'm really excited to drive that car. It's gotten really good reviews out of Europe. Um, Alvors has been with the Toyota team this week doing a GR Design Day. Um, Paul's coming back from the Volkswagen Amarok launch in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, Will Stopford is going to be joining Volkswagen for an electric brand day. So I guess there's um, obviously quite a few exciting products coming in the next year that um, they want to talk about. And I think next week, Scott, um, you'll be driving the new Cooper Bourne and I will be driving the Nissan Qashqai. So you and I are very busy. Yeah, really looking forward to having a spin in the Cupra Bourne. I know that Volkswagen MEB products have been around in Europe for a while now, but it'll be my first taste and it'll be the first Volkswagen Group product to hit Australia on what is essentially the platform of the future for that group. So very much looking forward to that. In terms of what's coming up through the garages in this next couple of weeks, we've got an electric Volvo C40 Recharge Twin. Um, I'm driving a Kia Sportage SX this week. We've got Jack Quick driving a Toyota Corolla SX Hybrid Hatch and Mike Costello having a look at a lower-end version of the X-Trail. Up in Sydney, Tony is driving the Cupra for Mentor. Curious to hear what he thinks of that. James, thank you very much for your time. And Mandy, if you do want to embarrass us, now would be where you can put some bloopers in. <laughs> I feel attacked. But thanks for having me and <laughs> enjoy the listening. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Car Expert Podcast. You might have already noticed I'm not Mandy Turner. Mandy is away sick this week. I'm Scott Colley and I'm going to be hosting. I'm joined by James Wong. Hello. <laughs> Testing once. <laughs> I think, I think, I think I'll try that again. Let's try it again. <laughs>